Clitorati. Where are all our readers out there? You know, Clit Talk started out as a book club reading Regina Thomashower's Pussy, a Reclamation. And we have another great offer on here today. In her book, Good Sex, Getting Off Without Checking Out, she teaches us about intimacy, love, fucking, compassion, and our own hearts and minds, encouraging us to live our most authentic lives in and out of the bedroom. She started as a meditation teacher, actor, and works with individual clients as well as couples. Please welcome to the studio today, Jessica Graham. Yay! Thank you. I'm very introduced. I feel like, like I'm in like a stadium now. <laughs> we love to pump up our guests, with, you know, at the very beginning of the interview. Thank you so much for being here with us. Build you up to break you down. No. (laughs) No. So your story is so great. I'm so happy you're here today. And the title of your book is so enticing. I got to say, good sex, getting off without checking out. Really, really speaks to definitely a lot of our listeners and definitely to me. Um, So I want to start off because you started in meditation, right? And I love your story. Can you talk about how your meditation led you to really explore your sexuality? Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you both for the the you know the kind words and for having me here. It's really good to be here with you. Um yes. so yeah, I I was actually introduced to meditation as a little kid by my mom and um I loved it. There's a picture of me um when I'm like six, six, I think six, yeah, my sixth birthday party. I'm in a Mickey Mouse shirt, and what I wanted to do for my birthday party was have everyone stand in a circle and hold hands and meditate. And I'm like, I love that that picture exists. It's amazing to me. Um, so it was like part of my life, but I was also on my own really young at like 14, more or less, and um, kind of took a deep dive into drugs and alcohol and all kinds of stuff. And so I got kind of far away from it. And every once in a while, I'd find myself like sitting in some place in nature randomly or walk into a church. I'm not religious. And I would just like sit there quietly and I'd be like, Oh, I remember this feeling. But then I'd be like, never mind, like off to my life of suffering. And it wasn't until I actually stopped drinking that I was able to kind of be with myself a bit more because for me, alcohol probably saved my life as a as a young one, but eventually it was becoming something that kept me from being able to kind of evolve. And so when I stopped drinking alcohol, I was able to get in back to this part of me that was really interested in kind of going within as well as like exploring without and um, kind of consciousness hacking, so to speak. And so things changed really fast when I started meditating. I was introduced to some techniques for deconstructing, basically deconstructing the sense of self. So deconstructing thought and emotion to the point where you start to just see self arise and pass as just a wave of phenomena. And that was kind of revealed rather quickly. So it was kind of a matrix experience where I was like, what? (laughs) Everything was different. And that first year or so, it was almost like, like heaven in a lot of ways. Everything was more awake and alive. Like I kind of think of like, um, you know, uh, interview with a vampire Mm -hmm. where turns into a vampire and it's like everything's like alive like I always think of that like when that and the matrix I'm a filmmaker so it's always movie um movie references but um yeah <laughs> everything was just so rich and beautiful sunsets food everything and I was like I came home from a meditation retreat I was like what about sex and at that point I had um I had I had done a year of celibacy And then I had gotten into a monogamous relationship and I really wanted it to be that way. I really wanted to like commit to this thing in this specific way. And I kind of turned my sexuality off in many ways Mm. Um, because as much as sex was always a fun and like good part of my life, it was also an area of my life where there was suffering and there was harm caused both ways always. Um, And so I wanted to kind of have a new relationship with it. So the relationship I was in was really loving, but didn't necessarily have this sort of, it didn't have this sexual component. Um, And so I was like, hey, let's bring in the meditation and see what happens. Because if everything else is better, then sex should be better too. Um, 
But I didn't have a partner that was really interested in that at the time. So I started exploring it with myself through masturbation, through, um, I, I don't know that I was on the like ethical porn sort of ride at that point. I was probably watching random stuff that I found, but I was trying to do it in a, like a mindful way, like really experience what does this feel like when I see this? Like, what does it feel like to get turned on or like reading erotica, looking at erotic photos, things like this, and just noticing what my sexuality felt like and how it expressed and what pleasure was like for me. Mm-hmm. And when that relationship eventually ended, um, the next one I got in, which I was in for 11 years, that part of it was really, really good. Like, and, and that's when I really kind of had this sexual awakening because I had a partner who was, who could really meet me there mm-hmm. and just had these like experiences that I, I didn't know were possible with sex and that kind of started that journey and that part of my life as far as my work goes. Um, I, I was always, I was kind of like the kid from sex education, whereas like people would come to me when I was like 15 and be like, how do you give a blowjob? Or my girlfriend's pregnant or, you know, things like this. And I'd be the go-to person to help them through it. But, and I, and I was, I was very wise in, in certain ways, but I also was like super traumatized and like had a lot of issues that had to be worked through. So as those were worked through who I am sexually and what I can offer in that, in the service realm, when that where it comes to sex has, has been able to expand because I've been able to heal. So, mm. I love how you talked about, it was really like exposure therapy in a way and like really staying embodied. Like you kind of like walked yourself through that as a very young age of like, oh, like I'm watching this porn and being selective about it, but like, how does it actually feel in my body to watch this? Like that is so next level. <laughs> yeah like early teen no 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 not as an early teen as an early teen I I, this was this was in my 20s this was in my like mid to late 20s when I kind of when I got stopped drinking and sort of got into this but Mm. in Mm. my teens I didn't realize until later that I had kind of stumbled on some mindful sex techniques because I would have orgasm anxiety I would feel like I'm you know I'm taking too long or they don't really want to be doing this or, you know, I sound weird or smell weird or taste weird or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And all that anxiety kept me in my head. And so as like a teenager, I started pretending like I had a brain in my vulva and that mm. every thought that I had was a sensation. And it was just some weird trick I did with myself. <laughs> and later That's on, I was like, oh, I was like mindful sex. <laughs> right. Right. So, so in your book, you, you, you talk about how you, you, you struggled to be conscious or in your body during sexual experiences. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how, how you got to where you are today as a sex coach? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, first of all, was just realizing that, like, I actually had a body, like... <laughs> I think I I noticed really bad feelings or really good feelings, um, which is part of probably why I liked sex so much, because it was it was a strong feeling um, and why I would like have really, you know, intense. I needed intense experiences to really feel. But as I as I woke up to my body through through meditation Um, it was like getting another sense. It was like, suddenly I understood like, oh, there's all these emotional experiences in my body and there's like different kinds of pleasure and different kinds of pain. Um, and so just simple meditation practice really helped. But I think it's really important to say that I've done like over a decade of trauma resolution work. And that's actually a lot of what my, my work with my clients is now I do a, I do somatic and archetypal trauma resolution. Um, and that's a huge part of it. Because the body keeps the score, you know, we're Mm -hmm. all that Mm. stuff that happens to us is living in there. And if it's not resolved, then it's impacting us on all kinds of levels. Um, And certainly many, many people of all genders have experienced some version of sexual abuse or sexual assault um, of one kind or another. And so that's in the body and it, it needs it needs to be processed and resolved in order to really feel safe and at home in our bodies. Um, yeah. And that's a process. We do that slowly over time with, with good yeah. support. 
we've been doing Clit Talk for a while now, over 200 episodes to date, and we have had an influx of new Clitorati, and we still have our consistent OG Clitorati tuning in every week. So we've created a free gift for you. It's called Clit Talk Cliff Notes, the no BS guide to self-pleasure and sexual intimacy. And we're really giving you our best highlight reel of sex tips. We have combined our top sex hacks to give you confidence, communication, orgasms, and the ability to take your pleasure game from zero to 100 real quick and blow any partner's mind in bed. Included in this banging free gift is two free audio trainings, self-pleasure is self-love, and our hottest sex tips. We also have unreleased episodes and a fan favorite from our Sex and Empowerment Signature Masterclass, an erotic visualization, and a video on orgasmic breathing. Oh, yeah. Mm. So to get a little taste of what we do here, you definitely want to sign up for Clit Talk Cliff Notes. Just go to clittalkshow.com backslash guide because clitorati it is possible to have quantum leaps in your sex and empowerment with simple and impactful shifts pussy pussy it's gonna be a good one today yes i'm talking about a clit talk clit talk clit talk talking about a clit talk clit talk clit talk come on girls and boys and everyone on the gender rainbow bring your pussies to the show You said a really juicy word in there. Um, you, some of the work that you do is called archetypal trauma resolution. Yeah, can you uh, speak about, to that? The, the the yeah, yeah. Can you speak yeah. to what what who that would be right for and and define that a little bit more um, in sure. your terms? What archetypal trauma somatic resolution means? Totally. Yeah. So I'm trained in a modality called Rebloom, which was created by Rachel Maddox, um, who's just a brilliant um, trauma resolution guide, but also a great teacher and coach. And she works, she does really great work with CEOs now. Um, in any case, she developed this body of work called Rebloom. And um, the somatic aspect of it is very much like a somatic experiencing for anyone who's who's done that type of therapy modality. And it's really just working with the embodied emergency responses, the fight, the flight, the freeze, the fawn that's in there that didn't get to do what it needed to do at the time when X, Y, or Z happened. And so there's a process of allowing the body slowly to unwind those embodied emergency responses and to, to unfreeze or to release the fight or to get feel like, okay, I got to run. Um, and there's a lot of different ways of doing that, but in the most basic sense, it's like attuning to the body and trusting its inherent wisdom and what it actually needs in order to resolve those experiences. And the archetypal piece comes in through um, um, a set of archetypes that, that Rachel developed um, that basically take you through from like baby to like elder and there's imprints and blueprints, the blueprints being like, you know, um, the sort of what we come in with, like our expressionista is the is the sort of creative and sexual and like kind of wild self and the like sort of natural and very healthy and authentic expression of that versus the imprint, which could be holding it all back and dimming our creativity and our sexuality or really pushing it and being like, um, uh, kind of uh, exploiting ourselves or, um, you know, uh, behaving in ways that sort of separate us from others because we're so extreme and like, I'm going to show you who I am. And so these are examples of imprints. And so you can kind of work with each of these archetypes along with the somatic work to, um, to heal and work through the developmental system. And, and then there's a lot of other stuff that I do with trauma within that. There's like a lot that I weave into it. I'm just very passionate about it. And because I work around sexuality, I just come in contact with trauma every day. Yeah. 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 Wow. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. That's some good stuff. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. I haven't heard about that rebloom. Go ahead, Mance. Yeah, me neither. I haven't heard about Rebloom either. Mm. I love the name too. It's very, it's like gentle. It's like, welcome. You know, mm-hmm. it's like approachable. 
um, <laughs> because you know, like uh, trauma healing could maybe be like that is uh, could you know uh, that wording of that that is what that is um, can can maybe some people will be like oh I, you know I don't have trauma I'm not going to do trauma healing work or like ooh trauma healing like that sounds scary I'm not ready right or there's like so many associations so I do really love the name Rebloom. Um, speaking to the kind of work it is. And you're right. Like the body does keep count because, you know, we had a guest on um, a, a while ago, Marla Movers Hartman, and she came on multiple times. And the first interview she came on and uh, she was talking about emotional intimacy and and she, the way that she described it, I was like, oh, that's me. And she's like, oh, there must have been some like trauma in your past. And I was, and I, I literally was not aware that I had any sexual trauma and then it wasn't until she came back on our show and I was re-listening to her episode just to, you know, refresh my memory because it was a few years later. And I heard her say that to me and I was I just remember I was driving and it like hit me like a ton of bricks. I like remembered like what happened. And Ugh. it was um, such, uh, and I never identified it as, because it wasn't violent. It wasn't like, it was with someone who I trusted and, um, and it was, I never identified it as um, sexual trauma, but it was. It was almost an assault in a way, but it was not like violent in a way. It was just thought of, I just thought it was like a bad experience. You know, I kind of chalked it up to like nothing of like, oh no, I don't have any sexual trauma. And so it's so interesting how your body will like reveal, and I've worked on it a lot <laughs> to the point where like I could talk about it and it's um congratulations it still impacts me though it still impacts me though it's still something that I have thank you that I have to really um deal with in my in my own intimate life with my 13 years of you know my relationship with my husband so um so I love that work that you're doing and I'm actually really interested because um I'm currently pregnant so I feel like my libido right now is just like all over the place like sometimes it's really high sometimes really low and sex is just like kind of hard because <laughs> I'm so big right now. <laughs> so I feel like it's hard to judge now, but um, but I do want to talk about like low libido because I just thought I had low libido for the longest time, but then I started working through my trauma and I was like, oh, this definitely has impacted my ability to connect emotionally or into an intimate situation. So, um, but we talk about mismatched libidos in relationships. We got a lot of questions from our clitorati and... Um, so, and how desire can over time kind of, like desire isn't linear, it can wane. So how do you recommend to, in general, dealing with a partner who does have low sex drive, like to support that partner? And also if it's like your other, your partner has a high libido and, and you have a low libido, what, mm -hmm. what kind of advice do you give to your clients? Well, the number one thing is, to get support because the thing is, is that we don't have, there's not a school that we go to, to learn how to be in relationship or to learn about right. sexual well-being. Like that's, that's, we have our parents, <laughs> you know, in many cases, right. that's the school of what not to do. Right. Not always, but many times. Um, and so the first thing is to like, let yourself off the hook and be patient with yourself and give yourself some compassion and give your partner some compassion for all the ways in which you, 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 sh you shouldn't expect yourself to know. You shouldn't expect yourself to be able to fix it. And then along the lines of fix it, nothing's broken. And that's another really important thing is regardless of what your libido level is, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and I think that comes up a lot on both sides of that. You know, what's wrong with me that I want so much? What's wrong with me that I don't want it at all? Um, and so I think a huge, a huge component is self-compassion and acceptance for, for where we are um, and getting, getting support to learn to communicate because communication is generally the, the main issue when it comes to um, any any sexual challenge within a relationship for the most part. Um, and so learning to really talk about it and learning to talk about it in ways where both people or all people feel heard, feel understood, feel, feel validated and empathized with. Um, there's a, there's a uh, dialogue, a, a practice I really like. It's called a MAGO dialogue. 
And uh, it's done with couples, but they've expanded it out to do it in a lot of different ways. And it's just similar to uh, nonviolent communication. But it's basically a practice of being able to share and listen and really get mirrored and validated and empathized with. And I think using tools like that when having these sorts of conversations can be really, really helpful because we get, we're so sensitive and we're so um, tender when it comes to sex and when it comes to our sexuality. And so having support, having structure around those conversations can be really helpful. Um, From there, it's like sexual energy is creative energy. And so if you are in a relationship where maybe you're not getting to express your sexual energy with your partner as much as you would like, um, you can use that energy elsewhere. You can take that and fuel other things that you're doing. You know, it could be creative as in like painting a picture, but it could also be creative with how you block out your day or how you put your kids lunch together, how you, you know, drive your car. I don't know. It could be, it could be all kinds of things where you might channel that creative energy so that you um, have that experience of release with it, but also your sexuality is yours. And so there's the third piece here where you come together, but it's yours. And so to continue nurturing it and giving it, um, like putting change in the piggy bank. You got to keep engaging with your sexuality, your own sexuality as a relationship, just like you would with a friend. If you never call that friend, if the two of you never talk to each other, it could go for a little while, but eventually like, you know, there'd be an issue there. And it's the same thing with our own sexuality. We, if we, if it's a priority and it doesn't have to be by the way, mm-hmm. but if it wants to be, then engaging with it for yourself. So engaging in self-pleasure, engaging in sensuality in all the ways, um, engaging in um, things that maybe aren't even necessarily sexual, but that bring an aliveness to your body, as well as checking in with yourself about what turns me on, what doesn't turn me on. And do I really like that thing? Would I rather like this thing? And just being honest with yourself, which then helps you to do that with your partner. Um, And so for a partner whose, you know, libido is is higher, um, don't cut off your sexuality because you're not able to express that in the relationship. And I'm not telling you to, to, um, you know, be unethically non-monogamous. I'm not telling you to cheat, but like you have yourself. So if you are in a monogamous relationship, how can you engage with and nurture your sexual self? And a lot of the time by doing that and taking the emphasis off of what's wrong and what your partner isn't giving you, you put it on like your actual experience, things do start to shift. And if both partners are doing that, and then you're having a conversation even once a week about sex, things tend to start to change. Mm. That's a really wow. great framework to, to navigate that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so something about me, Jessica, is I'm, uh, I, I started when I was first married to my husband, uh, when we first started dating before marriage, we were in a monogamous, heteronormative dynamic relationship. Um, after six months of doing this work on this podcast, we, we opened up our relationship and we have a beautiful, thriving, uh, polyamorous marriage. And you know, this is the big thing that comes up for me and my partner is that we we're matched in so many ways, but then, you know, he's also 16 years older than me. Priorities are a little bit different. Our, um, our sex, like our, 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 how the quantity in which we'd want to have sex is just, it's just different. For the longest time I made myself so wrong for that. Like, (gasps) oh my God, I'm just like not being like feminine enough for him to want it. And I really got like, no, not the fuck at all. Like, this is just, we have the we're, we're, we have this entity, but we are these two individuals. And doing clit talk caused me to create the most abundant self pleasure practice. When I must admit, though, having the ability to have other lovers allowed me to, to has allowed me to take that off of my partner. Right, that expectation. For example, an area that my partner and I don't really. Um, go into is certain aspects of BDSM and kink. Um, like for example, my partner does not like to be called daddy. 
I was like heartbroken when I discovered that that was like a real truth for him and a boundary. I was like, wait, no, I can't. I thought like one day I would be able to call you daddy. And he's like, no, like never. Like that's a hard, it's a fuck now. And so, you know, I have, I've been able to call other lovers daddy and that's been really great. Um, or, or even just in the realm of, um, right. Like, for example, I do like to explore kink and certain activities that are BDSM activities. Um, I also really do enjoy butt play. My husband's not interested in his butt or my butt. It's just like, it's like a no, he's a no butt guy. And, and so I've had to, I think being non-monogamous has allowed me to realize that my partner doesn't need to serve all of my needs. He can, he can support me in some of those needs, but I can go either fill those needs up for my, like manage those needs for myself through self-pleasure or be with somebody else. You know, and for example, I'm also queer. I've been, I was been into um, all the genders for evers and uh, didn't know it was bad and wrong until I was uh, judged and called a lesbian in sixth sixth or seventh grade. And I was like, oh, is that bad? Like, I don't know. (laughs) They just, all the kids thought I was a lesbian. (laughs) And, uh, and so I did, I did work through that, but I, I, as a, as a, as an adult now and identify as, as a queer, as a queer woman, um, I've recognized I really need um, to have um, to just to not just be with a cis heterosexual male in my sex life. It is so important, like so, so important for me. And I didn't realize that, you know, the first four years of my relationship, I didn't. There was a point where I was getting so resentful of him. Like, I just couldn't even speak without having, like, this cunty tone in my voice. Like, it was just everything he did was just, like, Argh! And it's because I was not expressing a huge aspect of my sexuality, which was being with um, people who weren't straight also <laughs> and had uh, different bodies. And so I just really want to echo the that for, um, because we do have a lot of people in our community that they're not necessarily non-monogamous, but they're very interested in opening up their relationship. There are Mm -hmm. some people, right? There's three of us hosts, so we do have like different archetypes of listeners that listen to the show. And there are some people who are like, well, I mean, I might want to open it up. And, you know, after hearing this share, you know, and, and knowing my story, like the differences in sex drives, like what would you say to, what would be your advice to, People who are currently in a monogamous relationship recognize that there is this just innate difference. It's not bad. It's not wrong. There just is this difference. And outside, of, in terms of having that weekly sex talk, having the um, opportunity to start talking to their partner about, about maybe opening up, what would your advice be um, around that to those listeners who, who do maybe need to navigate that conversation and say, hey, like, let's explore outside of just us two? Yeah. Well, first of all, like how awesome that you've arrived where you've arrived and are able to be in a marriage that can support and celebrate and um, and amplify you authentically who you are. I just really I really celebrate that for you. And um, it's a thank you. Yeah. And it's a beautiful model to be shown to be sharing to your to your listeners as is monogamy. I'm not, I'm not a one or the other sort of person here. I don't think there's a right or a wrong. Um, It's funny because people can be so evangelical on either side. Like I've known poly people who are like, it's the only way. And if you're monogamous, you are a lower life form. And I'm like, (laughs) like, I think I only got in one Twitter fight ever because I don't really use Twitter much. And it was with somebody. I'm like, look, I'm not monogamous. I don't even know why I'm in this fight with you. I just think you're (laughs) Holy fuck. <laughs> Holy um, fuck, that's great. <laughs> well, anyhow, um, so yeah, so I celebrate you in that. And um uh yes, I I actually I tend to I tend to work with a, a number of non-monogamous folks and and some very monogamous folks. Um but I I hit some different intersections. So I I, I get a lot of neurodivergent, I get non-binary, um, I get non-monogamous. And then I have like, again, just like kind of more normie, we could say. And I don't mean that negatively at all. I just mean like, you know, a little more atypical. No, typical. Atypical. Typical. Yeah. Typical. Yeah. A little, a little I'm vanilla. Atypical, right? <laughs> 
Not even vanilla. I just don't mean it in a negative way. I just mean. Totally. Um, yeah. Totally got I, it. I run in those circles. Um, anyhow. So, yes. yes. So for folks wanting, looking into opening up, number one, talking. <laughs> like, that's the thing I say is like, be ready to have a lot of fucking conversations. If you want to do it well, you're going to have to talk a lot. If you don't like talking, then probably don't do it unless you have some other form of telepathic communication or something. So be ready to talk <laughs> and have support in, in that talk. Another thing I, I, I would look for is do either of these um, people have severe abandonment trauma? Do you have severe abandonment trauma or even not severe, just moderate or light abandonment trauma, it may very well come up in some extreme jealousy that's going to feel like you're dying. (laughs) And so be prepared and have support around that piece. I know for myself, I've, yeah, same all genders since I was very young and basically non-monogamous just didn't really quite know how to do it until I got a little older. Um, But you know, I, I really um, got very, very freaked out the first time that I kind of ethically started the process of like really doing it as an adult. When I was 20, I had a boyfriend and girlfriend. We both lived in, we all lived in the same building. It was like, it was madcap. It was ridiculous. But this was like <laughs> later in life. This was like in my early thirties. And like, we opened this relationship and I just lost my mind. Like I went crazy for like, like two weeks. I don't like to use that word. I became very unstable for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Luckily, my partner was out of town. So I could sort of process without completely like attacking him. But man, did I want to. Um, because this terror and fear of like annihilation was arising because it was triggering the feelings I had as a kid. It was triggering, you know, being ignored, being made to feel that I didn't exist, um, being left alone, um, you know, being neglected in all kinds of ways, um, having an alcoholic father, like these things were just coming up. And luckily it had a lot of therapy and trauma work and a lot of meditation. So I was able to work with it as it was arising, but it was, I mean, I was a hot mess. Um, and so this is another thing. It's like, have I checked in with what might arise and am I prepared to work through it in a way that's not going to tear my life apart? Have I thought about the new relationship energy thing? Am I prepared to work with those love drugs in a way that doesn't destroy my life or anyone else's? Because that passes, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of preparation, I would say, of like really like, am I supported? Do I have a strong foundation to take this step? And lots of times people don't. And they're just like, ah, and they do it. And, and that's okay. That's kind of in some ways what I did. But if you have support and structure and foundation, then there's, it can just be so much better so much sooner. And so I think that's a big part of it as well. Um, and also having people you can talk to about it. So now there's so many more than there were, you know, in my, in my early thirties, it was like, I'm like on the internet, like trying to find people to talk to. Now it's mm-hmm. just way more common. You know, we're sitting here and right. like two of us are non-monogamous. I'm, I'm guessing you're not Katie, just based on. I'm not. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm monogamous. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sec- I'm yeah. all about the sex positive monogamy. <laughs> yes. I, conscious monogamy, yeah. right? Conscious yeah. monogamy is like chef's kiss. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, so two of us here are non-monogamous. So it's like, it's way more common to be talking about it. Um, and mm-hmm. so there's a lot more support there. But like having people and, um, you know, resources such as this, there's also um, a, friend, a couple friends of mine do the Multi-Amory podcast, which is another mm-hmm. like really great resource for this. Um, so mm. g- gathering your show. resources, having community um, before you jump into the deep end. That's so lots yeah. of prep. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's, that's the key ingredient for success, right? Is like preparation met with the timing or the opportunity. 
Um, so I really appreciate that. We're so we're all about planning here. We have this whole curriculum called pleasure planning. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we are all about helping people realize what that desire is within them and then creating the roadmap to bring it into reality, to this 3D reality through our communication coaching and our tools. And, you know, so much of the time is like part of the planning is going to be, part of the process is going to be preparation what are all the conversations that need to be had before the thing is actually even done? You know, and when we can create space for those conversations, then the what's authentic will arise, right? Versus when we rush into something and we're like, oh yeah, I want to do this thing. Like, it, like creating that spaciousness around it really allows for, I think, success. Whatever it is, whether you're wanting to have a wanting to open up or, you know something unrelated to sex, right? In and out of the bedroom. Um, Mm -hmm. Creating space for ourselves is so key. We really love to talk about all things related to orgasms here. So I'm wanting to like, um, speaking of uh, (laughs) not rushing into things, I do want (laughs) to get into, you talk a lot about open-eyed orgasms. (laughs) And Oh God, it just turns me on my clit is tingling just saying that word. Uh, so was this your entryway to to connecting with your partner partners or is it, is it more of a spiritual practice? I I think it can be both. Um, I I first like was introduced to the idea in uh, passionate marriage by uh, Dr. Schnarch. I'm just blanking on his uh, on his first name in this moment, but it's like a masterpiece of a book. Have either of you read it? No. Oh. Um, you ready to down it might, it might. Yeah. Wait, can you say it one more time? The name of the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Passionate Marriage, and the author's last hmm. name is Snarch. Um, it, you cannot get an audiobook version. The audiobook version is just like an overview. You've got to read it. It's it's a it's a commitment. Um, okay. But when you get about a quarter of the way through, it starts to get starts to get move a little bit. Um, I haven't read it in a while. I don't know, you know, how out of date it might be in certain ways. I'm sure it's not like talking. It's it's not probably using inclusive terms that we would use today, but, um, but I think it probably holds up. And he talks about open-eyed orgasms. And someone suggested this book to people, to women who were like mentors to me, suggested this book within the same like week or something. And it was back in my XX relationship when I was really wanting to see sex life kind of open up and expand. And they were like, well, you know, your desire level is higher than his and you're in this crucible where it's something's got to change, but neither of you want to change. And that's what this book's all about. So read this book. And mm. it it really is a life-changing book. I Everyone I've actually... <laughs> gotten to read the whole thing because it is, like I said, it's a commitment. It really can be life-changing. And he talks about this open-eye orgasm thing. And I remember reading it at the time and being like, "Uh, I don't know about that. Like, (laughs) I want like eyes shut. Like, I do not want you to see me. I don't want to see you. Definitely not during an orgasm. Like, that doesn't sound good at all. But I read it and I felt that feeling, that resistance. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I'd been meditating long enough to know that resistance was a sign of something interesting. And there was probably something to look at in there. And so mm. I was like, I need to be able to do this. And it wasn't going to happen in that relationship. I think the first time me and the next person I was with were intimate, our eyes were open the whole time. And the point here is not that you have to keep your eyes open and glued on each other all the time. Like you're not like doing a doggy style and you're like, I got to I gotta look, I got to look, you know, it's not like, it's not like, you know, and it's not like it has to be this like deeply spiritual, like I am seeing your soul and we are one. No, like it does not have to be like that all the time. Sex gets to be all the things, but to have the option, right? To have the option to be seen and to see. I mean, that's what we deeply want anyway. It's just scary, you know, it's just scary but it's what we actually need and want. It's what really nurtures us and the real nutrition that we need as humans. So to be able to make, have that option and not do the thing where it's like you're having sex and then you make eye contact and then you both kind of look away and then you close your eyes, like this whole little dance that can happen. Instead, it's like, oh, there you are. Oh yeah, here I am. And just have that Mm -hmm. 
flexibility. Mm. And yes, can it become like a deeply spiritual trippy experience? Absolutely. Mm. Can it also just be fucking hot to have someone look you right in the eye and say, don't you fucking I mean, oh whatever, whatever you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. I love um, yeah. that. No, exactly. it was like, <laughs> thank you, thank you. We're um, both like, yeah. Can align, <laughs> can align with whatever. That's the thing about good sex. That's the thing about mindful sex. That's the thing about present sex. It's not about one particular thing. It's about mm-hmm. just being here now, having the experience you're having, following your desires, giving voice to your desires, feeling safe in your body. And if that includes opening your eyes while you're like, while you're coming, awesome. Isn't that Mm -hmm. fun? Mm -hmm. I tend to orient away from folks who are unable to connect like that during sex, because for me now it's like, that just, I just, it doesn't do it for me. Like I, I need presence. Like we need to be here um, together or else it doesn't matter how well you do anything you're doing if you can't actually connect with me it, it doesn't I'd way rather, rather rather have someone deeply connect with me eye contact or not than have like five amazing orgasms honestly that connection right. is hotter to mm. me that's my kink honestly mm. Ooh. connection is my kink I like that oh that's hot yes. connection is my kink yeah quoted Quoted, here. love it. Oh my gosh, you're so amazing. Um, I do have one more question because I saw you talking about this in an interview and I wanted our listeners, we haven't talked about it before, but it's this limbic resonance and how that can have us find ourselves in similar situations within, res- within relationships. So can you tell us more about that and how we can kind of navigate um, recognizing if that's happening? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. I'm I'm super passionate about this topic. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I tended to bounce back and forth. I'd be with someone who was not very nice, everything from like actually abusive in various ways to just like, just really avoidant. And then I'd bounce to someone who was like super, super, super nice and just adored me, but probably wasn't all that present, but was just like, you're amazing. And then I would sort of recover from the dysfunctional abusive relationship. I'd kind of be the abusive one. And then I'd go back and find another relationship that kind of fell into the category of, you know, me getting treated badly. Um, Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, I'll always remember this day, I was talking to my ex-fiance, this woman who I was with in my early 20s before we actually could have legally gotten married. And that might change again. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. Um, We're on the phone and I'm crying to her about my then girlfriend who was really abusive. Um, And my ex goes, you know, you're just trying to recreate the experience with your mom and your dad and make it better this time. And it's not going to work with her. Whoa. And I'm just, what? And I'm in my mid twenties and I'm like, I just like, it just floored me. And I was like, I'd already done a lot of, like, I'd been trying to like heal myself for a long time. Like I'd like been finding my own therapists at like age 14 and taking buses to go to them. Like I'm trying to get better. But like that's that moment, it was like a catalyst for me. And soon after that, I ended that relationship. Um, And that's when I got sober and things just really started changing. Um, so I knew this thing, like I knew it, I knew that there was a thing where, um, when people mirrored some of the abuse and the neglect I experienced as a kid, I would find them super hot. Mm. And why was it that the person I found super hot always turned out to be that not very nice person. And just, I was like, I knew it happened and I wanted to change it. And I was really slowly changing it. Like really slowly, like the relationships would get a little bit better. Um, And I was aware of it, but it wasn't until I actually learned the science about it that Mm -hmm. it really started to change, which is that our limbic system, our limbic brain, somewhere in here, is um, responsible for... um, It's just a really loud helicopter. I don't know know how much sound it's making on your end. Um, It's all good. 
It's not too bad. Okay. So the limbic brain, which is in here somewhere, um, it's it's responsible for kind of developing our attachment stuff. It's where we st- it's where we start to experience all the love and lust chemicals, the serotonin, the dopamine, the norepinephrine, all this stuff is happening in here, and it's developing when we're quite small. And we have um, it is necessary that we have a deep unwavering attraction to our caregivers in order for our survival. And so these mm-hmm. chemicals are developing based on what we're experiencing. So we're learning that that's love. So if we're not being mirrored or if we're being um, actually abused, then that's, those, are, those wires are crossing. Not mm. only that, when we get a little bit of what we really need, when we get seen a little bit or when we get treated gently or with kindness, we're like, oh gosh, more of that, more of that. And then we become addicted to trying to get that thing that we're deficient in because it didn't Mm -hmm. develop because we have it. And so we get set off on this like cycle of falling, falling in love with people who create a similar sort of dynamic within us. And then we get a little bit of something good. And then we, we just, we want more, but then we get a whole lot of bad, but we, we can't kind of break free from it because it's wired in. That's the the resonance. We resonate with people that um, are similar to what we experienced mm. at very young ages. And that could be very depressing. It could be like, well, hell, like, great. I'm, I mean, I'm 42. What, what am I going to do? But no, you can revise that. You absolutely can revise. You can do limbic revision, which takes time and it takes targeted work and it involves attachment wound healing and it involves trauma resolution and it involves a lot of self-love and self-compassion and it involves some discipline. It involves some like, I'm not going to do that no matter what. Mm-hmm. It involves missing out on some fun at times because you know you're, that person is going to fuck you so good. Yeah, But if you are actually serious about revising The resonance, revising, being able to be attracted to someone who will fuck you so good and who afterwards will treat you well. (laughs) Um, Wanting you, you're committed to safe and sexy, right? Because Mm -hmm. for me, safe was not sexy. Right. Dangerous was sexy. Scary was sexy. Hurt me was sexy. Um, You know, make me feel what I felt when I was two was sexy. Mm -hmm. And so- if we really want to commit to shifting that, then we actually have to commit to it. In order to get to the place where I could actually commit to it and make those decisions person by person, swipe by swipe, because you start to be able to see it. You're like, oh, yep. Within a few messages on a dating app, you can see it. Oh, they have the thing. If you're attuned to it. Um, yeah. No wonder I'm like ripping wet right now. I don't even know this person, but they sent me one text and one selfie and like I just see it and I feel it and it's the tone and just my body's turned on in this particular way up oh, can't date them and to have to be like okay not gonna do that what starts to happen is this whole other world of possibility opens up this whole other kind of partner this whole other kind of turn on um and it's totally worth it but in order for me to get to that point where I could make those choices and actually have choice there was a lot of resolution work that needed to be done because um, I couldn't, there there was, there there were just too many stacks. There was a layer cake of trauma that had to kind of be, kind of be worked through. And so be patient with yourself, but it's totally possible. If I can be attracted to people who, and like really turned on by people who are kind to me, then anyone else can too. This is so insightful because I do have some of these, I do have some friends, some, some, some female friends who are like, they just go for like the bad guy. Like, you know, the guy that I'm like, why are you with this person? This person's not treating you right. They're treating you like shit. Like, why does this turning you on? But this makes so much sense. Um, of course, it's grounded in science, which is just like knowledge is power here. And just understanding um yeah, just, it's just so logical now. It's like, oh, well, okay. Now I actually see an access to support those friends. And what that, your ex-girlfriend said to you is like, wow, what a, what a great friend, right? To like, just be that blunt with you and say like, you're just, you're just playing out 
you, this thing with your mom and dad. Yeah. And when you had that aha moment, you know, um, I see that I could maybe provide that level of, of candor to some of my friends who are, are so very clearly with someone who is not in, like, the highest good of all involved. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that you could. I'm sure that you both could. And, and I mean, I think it's, it's important to say that, like, I've been doing, I've been working one-on-one with people in one way or another for, like, well, for over a decade now. And, um, and I'm really good at my job, and I know that I am. And I also know I'm not perfect by any means. And, like, I, in the last year, there have been big shifts for me. And so I just think it's important to say that, like, yeah, I'm sitting here talking about this thing, but it doesn't mean I'm not still in the process, you know? Totally. Um, sure, of course. Oh, we get that. Spiral, right? right? We come back around to the pieces and then we're like, oh, now I can do this deeper healing here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, we go deeper into the healing like an onion and just like coming back, like things are cyclical. So, you know, as Katie was mentioning earlier with when she had that memory mm-hmm. resurface and realized that she had some sexual trauma, right? Like she, she was ready though. And I do believe yeah. we come back around to it and we can go deeper as we, as we, as we go through the process of understanding each of our experiences, you know, but I think people, everything we're talking about is so hot, so sexy. It's like mindful sex is good sex. Right. And, 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 but there's a key factor I think here for, you know, the, the willingness to want it, right. To be able to be dis- disciplined doesn't just come from, all right, I'm going to press the uh, discipline button. There's, there's, there's a willingness. There's like a, and for you, maybe it was like, there was just a point where your body and yourself was like, enough is enough. I'm done. This impact is too great. And it's, 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 it's right. And once we get the impact, hopefully we can then be inspired to make different choices. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So this, I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I just had that moment just, you know, last, I mean, it's been a year now since I ended a very long-term relationship and it was a, you know, there were lots of amazing things about the relationship, but my body couldn't be in that relationship anymore. And, I, it's sometimes it's just moment of moments of clarity, and then you're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I'm ready. It's time." But I also i i i want to say that this um, Katie, the story that you shared, I I very much relate to it, and I've had a, a few experiences of that where something that I didn't think was a big deal mm-hmm. later on, I recognized I had that with like a childhood experience, um, and I write about that in the book. Um, I had it with emotional incest, so. If you don't know what emotional incest is, if a listener is hearing this for the first time, Google that shit because it will have the same impact as actual physical incest if you experience emotional incest. So just putting that out there. Trigger warning, be gentle with yourself as you learn about it. Um, But also right around the Me Too movement, you know, my book was coming out, okay? And I was in the recording studio making the audio book. And I get to this point in the book where I talk about being 14 on LSD, I think drunk and high, and having sex or someone having sex with me who was like 20. A guy that had, I realize now, had groomed me since the time I was 12. And in the book, I, mm-hmm. I write, I don't consider myself to be a survivor of rape, but I, I, but that the same situation might be for you. I don't, I don't know how it was put. It was put in a way so that it didn't sound like I was discounting the experience of someone else. But I was saying, I don't consider it. I don't consider it consensual, but I don't consider it rape, is what I said in the book. I get Mm -hmm. in that booth, get to that chapter. I start reading it and I just start sobbing. Yeah. And I could not read it. And the the guy in the audio recording was like, are you okay? I was like, I just need a break. I had to read it as written because the book was written. Right. I had to go back in and read that this fucking 20-year-old man who had groomed me from the time I was 11 or 12 years old, didn't rape me when I knew full well in that moment that he had. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't violent. I didn't say no, you know, mm-hmm. but I was a kid. I was a little kid right. and he was a grown up man who had set up a situation to happen and he had worked on it for two years. And it was really intense to recognize that like in hindsight. And I came to that realization, honestly, because one of the reasons was because I read a story of one of Kevin Spacey's survivors and it was, I was like, that's exactly what happened to me. And so I totally get that it can just, it can just come upon you. And, um, and we, it, when we're ready, I guess I was ready in that moment. My publishers were really great. They let me like put out a 
I don't know, put out some statement about my change of opinion about the experience. But, you know, if you are running into something like that, um, and I, I come across that a lot because oftentimes that's how people end up sitting in a Zoom room with me is mm-hmm. they've realized, oh, that thing actually was this thing. It absolutely can get better and you absolutely, you absolutely can heal from it. And, um, you know, it's, uh, and you're not alone. I just think it's really important. And I know you know that, but I'm just saying that, you know, for, for everyone, everyone else yeah. yeah, for everyone. Jessica, your story is so inspiring. Thank you so much. And you're, and I feel like, um, you know, so much of what we've talked about today is really, you, we keep to continue to evolve as we learn more and, untangle all these pieces of our lives so that we can like grow into these humans that we all aspire to be and have these sex lives and this fulfillment that we're all looking for. And, and within that unraveling, it's so great to have these supportive conversations in these communities and, you know, work like you're doing that you do one-on-one with your clients. So thank you so much for your, for your transparency and for your, uh, all the information that you brought to our listeners today and to us. I feel like every time we have these types of conversations, I take so much away. So thank you for being here with us today. Um, And is there anything that you wanted to leave our listeners with? I'll just, I'll say to both of you, thank you. It's such a pleasure. Like sometimes, you know, I love doing podcasts. Sometimes it's just like, yes, this is like, I want to do this all day. So thank you. (laughs) Yes. Appreciate it. And, um, Yeah, I I guess what I would say is this. Um, You know, we really don't know anything. You know, you can look at those pictures from the Webb telescope and recognize that, like, we don't know shit. And we're sitting around here, walking around here, these little human beings thinking we know everything and thinking, you know, we can figure shit out. We can't. We don't know anything. Um, And so what I would say is if you want to have an amazing sex life and an amazing life, lean into the mystery, lean in, lean in, lean in, let yourself have that beginner's mind. Um, Stay out of thinking there's a right way. And that if you just work hard enough, you'll do the right way. It's just not like that. Cause you know what? You could be gone like that. The person who's not having sex with you that you want to have sex with the person that's, you know, wants to have sex with that you're not, you don't want to have sex with. They could be gone like that. Like we just don't know. Um, So leaning into the mystery and leaning into the fact that we are like so sweet and tender and so insignificant, (laughs) positive nihilism, like that to me is probably one of the most important ingredients for good sex and for a good life. And it can be scary to live there in the mystery or even to visit. And so get a lot of support with it. Um, but let go of this idea that there's a way you're supposed to be or there's a right way or that you should know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and life will start to become a lot more interesting. And so will sex. Mm-hmm. Mm. Beautifully said. Amazing. And where can our listeners find you, follow you? It's the best way that they can stay connected with you. Yeah, so currently you can find me at yourwildawakening.com, but I'm getting ready to move everything to jessicagram.com. I'm bringing all of my work together, like everything from nude modeling to directing to trauma resolution. I'm putting it all on one site. I don't care what the marketing people say. I've decided I'm going to say you can be all the things on one website. So eventually I'll be over there. But you can, um, yeah, you can find me at yourwildawakening. My Instagram is jessicaclarkgram. Um, and I got a link tree with all kinds of links in there. Um, and there's a YouTube channel with guided meditations. Um, so yeah, you can, you can find me on the internet. I do, I have no, almost no followers and do really ridiculous videos on TikTok, but I like it. It's really fun over there. So I'm Jessica Clark Graham over there too. If you want to come and get nothing useful, just me like telling (laughs) silly stories, but (laughs) amazing. And we'll link all of that in the show notes, uh, for our listeners. Thank you so much. This was uh, enlightening, and your uh, your your presence is is so distinct and beautiful. Uh, it's been amazing to share this last hour with you and just be in your space. Um, 
and learned so much from you today. I mean, me and Katie got our Google Docs over here. I could see her adding things, me adding things. Like we really, you know, it's so crazy. You'll always be learning. But even after 250 episodes, it's like, oh, I mean, just this conversation is so expansive and there's always more to learn. And I feel like that goes so well with what you said about leaning into the mystery, leaning in, not approaching every day like you know everything, but actually coming with... um, this sort of innocence being like what am I going to learn today um so thank you so much for blowing our minds and multiple times turning us on in this episode <laughs> I, I mean at least for me I don't know about you yeah, Katie no. but I was like <laughs> Katie and Madison we appreciate you so much and I thank you for having me thank you so Absolutely. much and with that Clitorati we'll see you next Tuesday Bye-bye. If you liked this and are curious about our Clit Talk curriculum, we have a wait list for our upcoming free workshops and our Sex and Empowerment Signature Masterclass in 2022. Nothing like starting the new year guided by pleasure. Sign up for the wait list to come tap into your pussy sanctuary with Katie, myself, Sugar, and Lindsay at www.clittalkshow.com backslash waitlist. That's clittalkshow.com backslash waitlist.